done and gone. The storyline of events that led to one of the biggest PR disasters in recent Chinese marketing history. Just shortly after we finished recording this week's coming episode, the news broke about Coach Givenchy and Versace, who just had to apologize to Chinese consumers for. Uh, not fully understanding some of the sensitivities in the marketplace, so I feel as though this week's episode is going to be even more relevant and even more important for you to listen to and understand. Let's start this week's show. Hey, I'm Jimmy Robinson, and you're listening to Sisk CM. The stuff you should know about Chinese marketing podcast. This is brought to you by Pingpong Digital. Why don't you go and Google Pingpong Digital or head over to pingpongdigital.com to learn about marketing to China? This is the podcast to listen to for interesting stories, up-to-date news, analysis, and commentary, and interviews with other experts in the Chinese digital marketing world. So for this week, I'll be talking about an event that really surprised both Chinese marketers and fashion professionals. Around November of 2018, a leading luxury and fashion brand launched a series of video ads in its fastest-growing market, China. Whoever gave the green light to that marketing campaign, however. Couldn't possibly have known what was to come in the few days after it had launched. The brand that was much loved by Chinese consumers would be forced to cancel their Shanghai fashion show, be boycotted by hundreds of millions of Chinese consumers, and have to place round-the-clock security at its stores to prevent them from being smashed up. Some of you out there may already have guessed who it is that I'm talking about. For those who haven't yet guessed who it is, I'm going to be talking about the video ads of D and G, Dolce and Gabbana, or as it's now called by some in China, Done and Gone. We're going to be looking at the events that led up to probably one of the biggest setbacks in the brand's history. We could probably even call this episode "How Not to Tank Your Brand" in China in less than three minutes. We're going to be taking a closer look at what happened, how it happened, and why it happened, in the hope that this can help your brand avoid such pitfalls and hopefully allow you to better connect with Chinese consumers in the future. First, let's meet Xiang Kai. Xiang Kai is an artist, writer, and director who lives in Shanghai. On a chilly day towards the end of November last year, he was spotted throwing bags and clothes into a fire. These weren't just any items, however, that he was throwing into this fire. Each of these items was made of fine materials. The finest silks, the finest wools, all together, 
the items now turning into ash were worth more than about 20,000 US dollars. When asked by a journalist, Mr. Xiang explained, the purpose of burning my clothes is to awaken the Chinese people and the Chinese nation. Some of you say that I've probably wasted a lot of money, but I'm willing to waste this money for the nation's dignity. Now what on earth caused such a reaction? You tell me. In order for us to analyze this, we have to go back about a week before Mr. Shang burnt all of his Dolce & Gabbana collection. On the 20th of November, when three short videos appeared on Dolce & Gabbana's Weibo account. Let me set the scene for you here. Imagine a Chinese woman in a red sequin dress sitting at a table. She's reluctantly trying to eat some Italian food, pizza, spaghetti. But she's doing this in quite an uncomfortable and really kind of awkward way. Because she's not eating her pizza with a knife and a fork or with her hands. She's attempting to eat a pizza with chopsticks. In total, there were three different ad campaigns, each about 40 seconds long. They were presented as episodes in a series brilliantly entitled Eating with Chopsticks. The purpose of these ads was to build excitement and interest ahead of D&G's fashion show in Shanghai. During the videos, the model attempts to stab a whole pizza, twirl spaghetti, all with chopsticks. I can even feel now that a couple of you have probably just raised an eyebrow. You can already see maybe what's wrong before I've even explained it. And congratulations if you have, because you evidently have more cultural sensitivity and, dare I say, maybe common sense than the Dolce & Gabbana marketing team who greenlit this train wreck, really, of an ad campaign. In all fairness, of course, you can kind of see how this was supposed to be a fun, but yet misguided attempt to illustrate the mixing of Chinese and Italian cultures. That's before the narrator gives the model quite condescending advice, such as, don't attempt to use the chopsticks as knives. And this is all backed with stereotypical Chinese music and visuals like lanterns. These are all quite reductive elements that are commonly used in Western culture to portray Chinese culture. In less than a few hours after the release of the videos on Weibo on November the 20th, a Chinese fashion blogger named Serena Hotty posted a sharp criticism labeling DNG as racist and discriminatory, as well as starting a few trending hashtags, such as hashtag boycottDNG and hashtag DNG insulting China. 
Very soon, the post ignited Weibo with over 15,000 shares, 30,000 likes and 5,000 comments. Now, like me, you may think that this should automatically have qualified as a PR crisis that required the immediate attention from the very top echelons of the brand. But D&G didn't see it this way. Rather, this was just the beginning of what was later called by Chinese media as a nasty car crash. 记者发稿时,DNG设计师再次回应位列微博热搜榜第一。不过,不少国人对此声明表示不满,认为并无诚意. Right now, however, it isn't too bad. We have one room that's lit on fire. The rest of the house is still intact. However, shortly after all of this happened, Dolce & Gabbana's co-founder, Stefano Gabbana, made things worse. A lot worse. And he did this on Instagram. Very soon after all of this had happened, a screenshot of Stefano's direct message window, where he was having a conversation with a Chinese user, showed the designer making quite racist comments about the situation. First, he denied that the deletion of the posts on Weibo was his will. And then in the next message, he said, well, I won't repeat it verbatim, but let's just say that he used the poop emoji as a stand-in for China and went on to call Chinese ignorant, dirty, smelly mafia. No, seriously, I wouldn't go there. Not really the right approach to be taking. And of course, if the videos weren't evidence of the brand's cultural insensitivity, which was bad, but potentially at this point it could be salvaged. All you had to do was put out the fire in that one room. But it was really Stefano's comments that just set off an avalanche. It was just really couldn't be stopped. This was quite literally him going around the house and throwing fuel on the flames. And quite quickly, of course, the entire house began to catch fire. The repercussions of this came within the hour. First was Chen Kun, an actor who was set to attend Dolce & Gabbana's fashion show, who announced on Weibo that he would no longer attend the event. Just 10 minutes later, Li Bingbing, an actress known for her previous endorsement of Dolce & Gabbana, posted on her Weibo account, I love my country. Almost at the same time, Dolce & Gabbana's Chinese brand ambassador, Wang Junkai, who is the lead singer of the band TF Boys, published a brief statement through his agent saying, Our country is above everything. We're always proud and confident of Chinese culture and aesthetics. Before, of course, confirming the cancellation of his attendance for the Dolce & Gabbana fashion show. In less than just two hours, almost all notable celebrities and models have posted similar statements on social media, saying that they would not participate, 
and so Dolce and Gabbana had no choice but to cancel their fashion show, including, of course, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon Star, Zhang Ziyi. By this point, the situation had pretty much gone from bad to as worse as it could possibly have gotten. Stefano Gabbana reacted to these criticisms by posting screenshots from the DMs that were previously posted. With this, he had font written across it, big bright letters saying, not me. For sure. He claimed that his Instagram account had been hacked and also the official Instagram of the brand had been hacked as well. The Chinese Communist Youth League, however, didn't really see things that way. They joined in to the protest by posting an image um, of a traditional Chinese saying which roughly translates to to bring disgrace on one's own head, clearly implying Dolce and Gabbana. The incident was the top trending topic on Weibo and WeChat Index showed a huge spike in related keywords. Under mounting pressure, D&G's official Weibo account released an official apology. However, this was only really met with internet users' jeer and anger. Shut down! Out of China! Disgrace! Rubbish! Were the common words spotted in the comment section. A tarnished reputation inevitably is going to lead to plummeting sales. And that's pretty much what DNG saw. After such controversy, the brand's overseas market took a massive hit as Chinese tourists and consumers refused to buy DNG products. Not only that, but all of the major Chinese e-commerce channels took DNG products off their platforms within the following few days, essentially cutting off one of the key lifelines for brands in China. Now, why did this happen? I'm imagining now in the not-too-distant future, three years, maybe even in the next few months, university, marketing, professors, and public relations students talking and discussing matters regarding this particular situation, staring blankly at glossy pages of a textbook that are showing a picture of a Chinese model in a red dress trying to eat a pizza with chopsticks. This AMP campaign by some has been called racist. I'm more inclined to say that it was insensitive. Very, very insensitive. At the core of this, it was a lack of respect from the brand to its core Chinese consumer base. Western luxury brands have been intently eyeing and focused on the Chinese market for the past decade or so. However, from time to time, it probably helps to wipe clean your lenses and take a better look at the market and what's going on there. China is more than just a huge ATM. There is a real lack of cultural authenticity and sensitivity when it comes to marketing to Chinese consumers and overall with Chinese marketing campaigns. There are some very surface level efforts to connect with Chinese audiences, but these often don't go deep enough to actually really understand this market and who these consumers actually are. With economic power both as a nation and with individual spending power from Chinese consumers who can really afford 
afford such goods comes a fierce national pride that Chinese consumers really value and identify with. When brands don't properly do the research or even work to connect with this audience, the marketing itself can seem very flat and, of course, in this case, very, very insensitive. And this is a common trend that we've been seeing, not just with Dolce & Gabbana, but also with other Western brands when they're going out to the Chinese marketplace. Brands that are quite often unwilling to localize and adapt their messaging and materials for the Chinese marketplace, or take the time to fully understand what is actually going on there. Quite often they'll have their own marketing teams out in China, or maybe use expert agencies as well. But as we've heard time and time again, in particular for marketing professionals who work for some of the biggest brands in the world who are based out in China, Western brands often don't necessarily listen to the people that they've actually hired to run their marketing campaigns for them. They're not always willing to understand the cultural differences that make China quite a unique marketplace in the world. And by ignoring these experts in the marketplace, this is often how mistakes like this get made. So how can we avoid such a situation? Or maybe you want to recreate it, but maybe we should focus on the avoiding aspect a bit more. I think sometimes it's good to take a step back and realize that maybe your first idea wasn't exactly the best idea. This can be true even if it comes to the boss or someone in a position of power who might be trying to force their own agenda. Employees of all brands and agencies need to be empowered. They need to feel as though they can check these ideas and not be punished for giving candid and valuable feedback to those who are based in the headquarters or based in positions of power. Brands, and especially ones that have international teams, clients, businesses, do need to have a little bit of a culture check sometimes, especially when they actually don't come from that particular market or segment group. And it's not often enough just to find one Chinese person who maybe works on the shop floor and ask their opinion on something. That one person is not going to necessarily give you that honest feedback that you actually need. It's important to think about running focus groups and to listen to outside experts who are going to tell you exactly how it is. There is sometimes an arrogance with brands when it comes to pushing out contents, but not necessarily taking the right steps to ensure its quality, and of course, making sure that it's going to really resonate with their intended audiences. And of course, there's always the faux pas that a lot of Western marketing professionals can sometimes make, which we call the Shanghai fallacy. And what this essentially means is that Westerners will sometimes go out to China, they go out and they visit Shanghai, and they visit their team out in Shanghai. They order themselves a Starbucks latte, and they go to a fine French patisserie, and they see Chinese consumers going to these same places as well. And therefore, they make the misconception that, oh, China is actually westernizing. It's actually becoming more like us. 
Therefore, the marketing materials, the messaging, the branding that I've got back home will absolutely work out here because the Chinese look at them. They're doing exactly what everybody else does in the West. Of course, they're ignoring the fact that China itself is, first off, much larger than just Shanghai. Shanghai is one of the key tier cities in the country itself, but it does not account for the whole population of the country. Shanghai has got about 30 million people in a country of 1.4 billion. So it does pay to look beyond the borders of Shanghai and really understand what are the real Chinese consumers doing? What are they feeling and what are they talking about and saying? What are their likes? What are their dislikes? You need to go out there and explore. Now, I'd like to introduce a new section of this new podcast, some other news. This is going to be a spot for us to quickly discuss some more recent industry news outside of the main topic area. And today I've picked Baidu, the Chinese Google. Baidu is making some big changes when it comes to its advertising products. In the world of Chinese search engine marketing, Baidu is without a doubt the most important platform with an impressive market penetration of over 95%, which is why we call it the Chinese Google. It recently launched a new product, Bai Qingtang, which integrates all display options on Baidu's own PC and app products. Bai Qingdeng will eventually replace all existing display and ad products, such as Baidu Baiyi, which has actually already been completely shut down as of the end of July 2019. Brands can use Bai Qingdeng to place display ads on over 100 apps and products that are all owned by Baidu, the most popular of which are Baidu Tieba, an open interest-based forum that has about 300 million monthly active users. And Baidu's main app, an integrated application of all Baidu services with over 430 million active users. In total, there are about six main ad formats that brands can utilize. These are image in-feed ads, app opening ads, video in-feed ads, encouraging video ads for games and e-reading services, loading ads and banner ads. If this is something you would like some more information about or are interested in just doing a bit more research about this, I've left our social links in the episode description. So please do feel free to shoot us a quick message over or reach out through Twitter, LinkedIn, or any other popular social media channels that we might be on. Twitter is at pingpongdigital. I think there are some real lessons here with Dolce & Gabbana's problematic Chinese ads. I think it's wrong to say that Chinese consumers reacted this way just based on three video ads. I think it's actually quite insulting in some instances to say that the Chinese can be so petty as to boycott a brand over something which in reality was quite a small thing. 
The real issue here is brands thinking that no matter what they do, the Chinese will still buy. That is not really the best attitude to have when it comes to one of the biggest and most important markets in the entire world. Time and time again, we see brands who think that they can just take what they have in the West, drop it into China, and the Chinese will buy. Build it and they will come. That may have been the case about 20 years ago. However, nowadays, that doesn't really work for the sophisticated Chinese consumer. They're traveling more, they're experiencing more. And as they begin to do this, and as they begin to increase their purchasing power and purchasing might, it's up to brands to really think about how they can begin to better communicate and better engage with these audiences. And of course, if you do ever come across a situation like this and you're a CEO, please do not begin to insult one of your key markets. If you like this episode, please subscribe. And if you have any feedback or comments, we would love to hear them as well. Again, at Ping Pong Digital is our Twitter. I'll be back with episode two in a couple of weeks time, where we'll be discussing the term millennial and whether it still has any value as a marketing term, both in China and abroad. Is there such a thing as a Chinese millennial? Tune in next time to find out. I would like to extend a special thanks to Frank Ye, Zach Coyle and Jess Munn, all of whom make this podcast happen. I've been your host, Jimmy Robinson. Catch you next time.